Thank you all. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you today. And for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ruth Hassel. I work um, on the staff team here with responsibility for all things discipleship. And uh, so as part of that, it's my joy to be able to open the Word of God and for us to look at that together. Um, and as Angie said, we're starting a new series this week, looking at this book of Hebrews, this letter. And um, what we're going to do is week by week is take two chapters at a time. And evidently, there isn't enough time in each Sunday to cover the whole breadth of the material that's covered within those chapters. So our encouragement is that if you have time to read ahead um, the two chapters before you come to the following week. And if you'd like to look at it a little bit more, um, can I recommend a book to you that hopefully will come up on the screen um, called Hebrews for Everyone, written by Tom Wright. Um, it's just a really accessible way of looking at the passage, pulling out some of the key themes, and getting an idea of, of the flow of the letter. But this morning, we're going to start by sort of looking at a quick overview and, and focusing in on chapters 1 and 2. And a lot of the New Testament is made up of letters that have been written um, to different people in different situations, um, different church gatherings. And so often when we come to look at the letters, we ask two questions of them. Firstly, we ask, well, who wrote them? And then secondly, we ask, who were they written to? And that works really well for pretty much all of the letters, apart from this one. That actually, it doesn't begin by telling us who wrote it. Um, some educated guesses have been made that it might have been written by the Apostle Paul because there's some similarities to some other letters that he's written. Some people have said maybe it was co-workers of Paul who've written this. But the truth is, we actually don't know. We haven't been given that information. When we ask the question, who was it written to? We come up with a blank again. That again, the author has, has not told us who it is that they are writing to. But as we read through, that what we do gather is that the author knows the readers really well then as you read through, you'll see that there are things that they know about them simply because they know them. They know that they, um, they know the Old Testament scriptures really well, that the things that they mention, there would just be this assumption that you know what I'm talking about when I talk about wilderness and sacrifice and, and the high priest and all those kind of things. There's this assumption that they will be well-versed in the things of the Old Testament, of the holy scriptures that, that they would have um, had. And there are also clues as we read through that the people that are being written to are people who are facing persecution and even imprisonment. And the letter is punctuated with words about this and an encouragement to the people who find themselves in this situation. And so the assumption is made that because of those things pulling together, this was probably first written to a group of Jewish Christians people who were now following Jesus and were suffering um, for their faith. And so as you read through the letter, there seem to be two primary goals within it. The first is that um, the author wants to reiterate and underline that Jesus is superior to anything and everything, to everyone and anyone, that Jesus is above all. That's the primary focus. The second one is that he wants to encourage the readers to remain faithful to their faith, even despite all that's going on and the questions that are being asked of them and the things that they're facing. And so the full and final work of Jesus is the centerpiece of this letter. That is the key theme of it. And as we'll see as we go through it, 
we'll see that it tethers those first believers both to the past, the present, and the future. And it keeps turning their eyes back to Jesus at every turn. That again, there's this punctuation of turn back to Jesus, fix your eyes on him. And by drawing on Israel's history and the forerunners of the faith, the author is showing how God is always pointing to the more perfect priest, to the more perfect sacrifice that would come through his son Jesus once for all and for all time. The events that we celebrated just a couple of weeks ago when we um, rejoiced in, in the in Easter Sunday. So even though we don't know who the author is, what we do know about them is that they had their eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. And their encouragement was that we would be people who do the same. And even right from the outset in this opening paragraph, the author paints this beautiful picture of just who Jesus is. Starts off by saying, you know, in the past, you were dependent on the prophets to come and speak the word of God to you. You were dependent on them to show you something of what he was like, to share something of his message. And while that all still holds true, you now don't have to just count on them. You can look at Jesus because he is the exact representation of who God is. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And the words that they use are this sort of this idea of imprinting. It's the, the words used um, for making coins, of printing a face onto a coin that is sort of the exact representation. Um, in our sort of thinking today, it might be the words could come, you know, in the past, you were reliant on people to draw your portrait, whereas now you can see the exact representation in photographic form. For instance, one of my goddaughters sent me this beautiful portrait um, that she drew of me. I have to say, I have never felt so seen. I think she captured everything there. And um, whilst I would imagine that if you had been sent this ahead of time when I arrived, you'd go, oh, we know who that is. <laughs> she just captured it perfectly. Um, I am sort of asking if that could be used on the website rather than my current picture, but apparently that's not okay. But actually, it's this whole thing of, in the past, you were dependent on people's sort of transmitting, this creating this portrait of sharing the word of God that he had given to them. But now you can look at Jesus, who is the exact representation of God. He is the radiance of his glory. That all who, Je all who God is, is found in the person of Jesus. And so you saying, you need to look out for this. And the way in which the letter is written, there is a pattern to it. Taking up this key theme of Jesus is above all things, is superior to anyone and everyone, to everything that has been made. The author goes through and in four different chunks compares two different things that Jesus is superior to. And in chapters one and two, the things that he raises that Jesus is superior to are angels and the Torah, the law the law that had been given um, to the Israelites in the Old Testament. And through it, the author is saying, you know, you have held on to those things in the past and they are important and they are key and they have not been replaced. But Jesus is superior even to those. For the first readers, angels would have been important because as they read through the scriptures that we have as the Old Testament, it was the angels who were the ones who came and delivered the word of God. It was angels who brought the commandments to Moses and then on to the people. And so their word was key 
was absolutely solid, was so important. And the author is not saying you can just forget that now. What it's saying is, but actually, Jesus' word, his message, is superior even to that. That he's not come to replace it, he's come to embody it and to show you what this looks like. He's saying, see, you hold angels as important and the message that they gave, and you should. But Jesus is above that. And the message of his good news is superior to that. So keep looking at that. And um, in the beginning of chapter 2, he says to them, make sure that you pay careful attention to these things so that you don't drift, that you don't start replacing it with other things. But hold on, look at Jesus so that you would stay um, in that place. And so the author paints this picture of Jesus as superior to the angels over everything. Sets out to be really clear that this is who he is, that he is the exact representation of God. And then within a few verses, he travels with us and says, yes, he is holy God, but there's also something incredibly special that you might miss. That he calls us brothers and sisters and that he made this journey from heaven to earth to live the life that we live. That not only was he fully God and the exact representation of God, but he was also fully human and made that journey to earth to be born as a human to live that life, to die the death that he did, and then to rise again so that we could be associated with him, so that we would know that he knows what it is like to walk the path that we walk. And so there's this incredibly humbling pathway that goes from Jesus, who is above all things, to the fact that he makes himself like us, enters into humanity, and walks our path. It has echoes of what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 when he bursts out in this great praise of how we should be more like Jesus. And he describes Jesus as this. He says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. He tells of the journey that was made Um, where Jesus was born, lived this life, was killed, died, and then rose again. And in doing, he calls him a pioneer. He was the first one who went through that. That in doing that, he opened the way for each and every one of us to be able to know God personally. That actually there was a way that was open so that every person could know God if that's what they wanted. That there was a way for us to be with him and to know him that previously we were separated from God by our sin. But now he's saying we're separated from our sin because of Jesus. And we can know the presence and the fullness of God um, just as he does. He calls us brothers and sisters. And the author picks up this theme throughout the letter about how Jesus is the true high priest. And in the Old Testament, the high priest, um, as Tom Wright describes it, was someone who was able to act as God's representative to his people, absolutely embodying God's mercy and his steadfastness. 
But a good high priest was also one who could fully sympathize with those to whom he ministers. And the author wants to keep saying this is who Jesus is, that he is fully able to completely embody the mercy and the steadfastness of God, that he completely gets the life that you're living. He completely understands the challenges and the the things that we struggle with, the things that we face, because he entered into that life and lived it with us. And so that we can know with confidence that there is nothing that today or tomorrow can hold that stands outside of the experience of Jesus and his knowledge of that. So that when we're tempted, we can know that actually Jesus lived that life and knows what that's like, but lived it perfectly. And because he has opened that way, we can follow on too and know his goodness and be able to take his life for our own. He's saying, so he is the perfect, the true high priest because he is fully God, but he fully knows the human experience. And the author's encouragement is, though, for whatever you are facing, fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're grieving, fix your eyes on Jesus. Know his comfort. If you're struggling with some of the challenges of life, fix your eyes on Jesus, because he knows. If you are rejoicing and celebrating, fix your eyes on Jesus, because he loves that too. That he enjoyed the celebration and goodness of friends and of, of being together. Says in every circumstance, you can look with confidence to Jesus because he has walked that path, that he's not some distant being that hasn't got a clue. He fully entered into all that we know and knows what it's like. And says, so you can trust me, but also you can trust me because I am fully God, so fully good, and can know um, that goodness. And so the book of Hebrews, again and again, fixes our eyes back onto the person of Jesus. That's one of the key aims. And as with the first hearers, it tethers us then to the past and the present and the future realities of life together as the people of God. And we'll be reminded as we travel through this book, as we look at it together, that we stand on the shoulders of centuries of believers who have walked the path of faith ahead of us that we can learn from them, we can know that we're being cheered on by them, that we would be people who stick to this path too and follow in the way that Jesus has opened up. We'll hear that encouragement to not walk away, that when things are hard, when perhaps there's challenges on the place of our faith, that actually we would hold true to it and hold tight and know that God stands with us. We will be minded again and again that Jesus doesn't dismiss the suffering and the experiences um, that we have day by day at this ground level of humanity, that he knows what they are. But instead, we're called to see that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, then everything is better, that he is better than all things. As one author put it, he's better than all the lesser loves that this world has to offer. He's better than all the best offerings that we can bring. He's better than all the signposts pointing to him along the way. He is the better priest, the better sacrifice, and the better hope. And so this book of Hebrews is an invitation, again, for us to let our eyes be drawn back towards Jesus, to know his heart, to know his goodness, to know his love, not just for ourselves, but that it would overflow out of here into the lives of those around us, that they too may know that there is a God in heaven who loves them. He longs to be known by them.
And our prayer is that as we travel together over these next few weeks, that as we do just that, as we fix our eyes on Jesus again, that we would be changed by the reality that Jesus would offer himself once for all, for all time, so that we could experience the fullness of his presence. That's the message of Hebrews. That's what we're going to be traveling with. That punctuation of fix your eyes on Jesus. Know his heart for you. Know the journey that he made so that the path could be open so you can walk through it. And know that God's heart is open and full for you. And knowing that you can stand firm. Not in a Pollyanna kind of way, but in a way that has confidence in God, who is who he says that he is. And when we forget sometimes what he's like, we can look at the life of Jesus and know that that is exactly the heart of God and can trust him in that. So that is our hope and our prayer as we travel together, that uh, we would see more um, of him, that we would be captivated more and more by his beauty, that we would see more and more of the radiance of God's glory in our life together and in the life of our community, that we would know that he is above all things, holds all things together, and stands with us in our day-to-day lived experience. Let me pray for us. Loving God, I thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you that it stands true for all time. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that you're not fickle, that you do not change, but that your word holds good. And so Jesus, I pray for each person here and watching online. Lord, I pray that even in this moment, we would know something more of your heart. Jesus, would you fix our eyes again on you? That we would know the truth of that old song, that when we turn our eyes upon you, the things of earth grow strangely dim because we're captured by your beauty, your goodness, and your grace. So Jesus, we pray in these coming weeks, would you do your work in us and through us? That as you represent the Father, God, that our lives would represent you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.